How can there be a God when there is so much suffering? It is a very hard question. It's a very hard question. It's a very good question. And the fact of suffering and evil in the world is, in the view of many, a fundamental problem for Christian faith and Christian belief. For many, it is the strongest objection to belief in God. And it's not a hypothetical issue or a matter of philosophical debate or argument. The problem of suffering might be a topic for discussion over dinner. But in the end of the day, it is a real and a personal issue. We encounter suffering all of the time. The health crisis in West Africa that Andy prayed for, the plight of the many children orphaned in these poor and underdeveloped countries. The children of Syria, out of the news. Yet a whole generation of children whose lives are ravaged by war. As Christmas approaches, many of you will remember the Boxing Day tsunami in 2004. 330,000 people losing their lives. The newspapers after that event carried in different words, but essentially the same small word, why? I listened this week to a memorial service from Ground Zero. Tim Keller, the minister in New York City, was speaking at it that terrible day when the Twin Towers fell, the kind of day that etched itself so powerfully on our minds that I guess most of us in the room can remember where we were when it happened. Or this past week, closer to home, that uh, terrible tragedy of a mum who drowned her three children and then took her own life. And personally, many of us have experienced the death. Now, you might think I'm kind of layering this on, but I'm not. It's just reality. Personally, many of us will have experienced the death of a loved one, the diagnosis of terminal illness, the suffering caused by mental illness. Suffering is real and personal. And for sure, in a group of this number tonight, there will be those of us currently experiencing suffering, either ourselves or watching someone we love. So how can there be a God when there is so much suffering? How can there be an all-good and all-powerful God, which is the God that Christians believe in, the God of the Bible, when there is so much suffering? It is a hard question. It is a good question. It is a real personal question. And what I want to do as a Christian, as somebody who believes in a good, all-powerful God, in a world full of suffering, is respond to the question, how, how can there be a God when there is so much suffering. And five things I'd want to suggest for us to think about. You'll see them on the screen behind me. Firstly, to consider the alternative. To reflect on Christianity as realism rather than escapism. That God himself has suffered. That God will end suffering. And then finally, to consider the evidence. So first, to consider the alternative. And what I mean by that is 
Consider with me for a moment the implications of the conclusion that God does not exist. Say your conclusion, based on the problem or the question of suffering, is that a good and all-powerful God simply cannot or does not exist. Where does that leave us? What are the implications of such a conclusion? It leads us logically to conclude that the world and the universe we inhabit as humans is cold and blind and silent and indifferent to our pain. On the screen, a couple of quotes from prominent atheists whose view is that God does not exist as they have wrestled with the question of suffering. First one is from Francis Crick, who writes, You, your joys and your sorrows, your memories and your ambitions, your sense of personal identity and free will are in fact no more than the behavior of a vast assembly of nerve cells and their associated molecules. And then secondly, Christopher Hitchens, a prominent atheist who died a few years ago from esophageal cancer. He writes to the dumb question, why me? The cosmos barely bothers to return the prize. Why not? Now these are the honest and thought through and intellectually argued logical conclusions of atheism. The view that a good and all-powerful God simply does not exist. But what does atheism offer in the face of suffering? It lacks the categories to speak with words of understanding or comfort or motivation or hope. It is utterly and fundamentally bleak. And does atheism really satisfy? Does it really satisfy the instinct of the human heart to ask the question why on the basis that somewhere in our psyche or deep-rooted in our hearts and minds there is a sense that the world in which we live is not how it should be little booklet Andy will mention later, How Can God Allow Suffering? The author writes this, The joy of having a child and the sorrow of losing one might be more than the behavior, must be more than the behavior of a vast assembly of nerve cells. Surely it is our basic intuitions about our world and how it ought to be that causes us in the end of the day to ask the agonizing why question. Such intuitions prompt us to cry out in the middle of our suffering for answers, for fresh perspectives, and renewed strength. Where does such intuition come from? Atheism must, in the end, dismiss such intuition, along with the agonizing why questions. For in a godless universe, there can be no one there to see your anger or hear your questions. Consider, secondly, Christianity, the belief in a good and all-powerful God in the face of suffering. Now, you might feel that the conclusions of the atheists are bleak. I guess we all would, whether we are Christians or not. You might feel that they are bleak, but nonetheless, bleak as they may be, real, realistic. It is how things are, it is reality, and so we need, hard as it is, to come to terms with it. 
you might feel that the Christian view that there is a good and all-powerful God in the face of suffering is better. You might wish it to be true, but conclude in the end it is too good to be true. It is, in the end, escapism, a denial of reality. When you read the Bible, for example, one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, the books that describe Jesus' life, it is very striking how realistic Christianity is when it comes to suffering. It does not shy away from it, nor avoid the subject, but tackle it head on. Here's an extract on the screen from Luke's Gospel, Luke's eyewitness account of Jesus' life. Soon afterwards, Luke writes, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. A large crowd from the town was with her, and when the Lord Jesus saw her heart, he went out to her and he said, Do not cry. And then he went up and touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Now, that is a family funeral, the kind of thing that happens every day in our city. Jesus confronts death and the heartbreak caused by death head on. This account is typical of the kind of situations and people Jesus meets. And nor is the Bible afraid to ask the why and the how long questions. So here's an example of poetry in the Bible. Again, very typical. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself? How long, O Lord, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? A Bible that asks the questions, why, how long, where are you, God, is a Bible that asks real questions, not escapism, but realism. The questions, why and why me, are raw and real human questions from the human heart. And atheism has to respond to the question, why, with the answer, why not? The Bible responds to the question, why, by pointing us to Jesus. I want us to see that the Bible does not give pad or trite answers to the question, why? There's a book in the Bible called Job. It is about a man who suffered a great deal. And Job kept asking for answers to the why question. He didn't get an answer to the why question, but he did get an answer to the who question, that there is a God who is good and all-powerful. Christianity is not escapism. In fact, I'd suggest to you that as a worldview, as a, a view on how the world is and how humanity is, Christianity is the most realistic, the most honest, the most raw when it comes to suffering. And the answer is to point us to Jesus. Now, let's consider Jesus. And I want to do so under the heading, God 
has suffered. When you read the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life, an account like Luke's gospel that I quoted a few minutes ago, it is clear that God himself has suffered. And that is a distinctive about Christianity, making it different from every other religion. The God of the Bible, the God that Christians believe in, is not some kind of distant or vengeful or autocratic or heartless ruler, but a God who cares so much about his creation, its pain and its brokenness and humanity, those he made in his image, his likeness. A God who cares so much that he came to earth and experienced our suffering world for himself. That's what we celebrate at Christmas, Emmanuel, God with us in our pain. The author Dorothy Sayers speaks very powerfully about this. Let me read this quote. She writes, For whatever reason God chose to make man as he is, limited in suffering and subject to sorrows and death, God had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. Whatever game he is playing with his creation, he has kept his own rules and played fair. He can exact nothing from man that he has not exacted from himself. He has himself gone through the whole human experience, from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. When he was a man, he played the man. He was born in poverty, died in his grace, and thought it well worthwhile. God himself has suffered. God is not indifferent to our pain. He cares about our suffering. He suffered. And Jesus' suffering is seen supremely in his own death on the cross. He experienced pain and agonizing death. He experienced injustice. And God, his Father, experienced the pain of losing a son. And Jesus himself cried out on the cross, Why? Why have you forsaken me? Jesus suffered with us, but more than that, he suffered for us. There is deep comfort in our condition as humanity to be derived from empathy. But someone who shares and understands our pain at the level of human empathy is comfort, but only to a certain extent. But comfort is infinitely greater if there is an answer to the problem of suffering. In the gospel accounts, the whole of the Bible make clear that Jesus' suffering was not pointless. It brings about the salvation of humanity. Jesus suffered and died to forgive our sins, that we might be reconciled to God. His suffering went way beyond physical pain, that we might be reconciled to God. There are some words on the screen from John's gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave, that is, gave to suffer his only Son, that whoever believes should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn it, but to save it through him. God has suffered to save us, and God will bring suffering to an end. God promises in the Bible that there will be a time when suffering is at an end. He doesn't promise to end it now, 
But he does promise that there is life beyond this life that is free from pain. The Bible describes that place as a new creation, a new heavens and a new earth. It is described at the end of the Bible in this way. God will wipe every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. Now, you might think that is wishful thinking. That is escapism. The answer to that counter is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. The evidence of his resurrection. He died and was raised to life. And that is the proof and the evidence that death is not the end, that the pain and suffering in this world is not an end in itself, but there is something greater beyond it. Now, finally, consider the evidence. Read the evidence for who Jesus is. Read the evidence about his death and resurrection. You can read it in a short book like this, Luke's Gospel, Andy will say a little bit about that at the end. If someone has invited you here tonight, ask them to read Luke's Gospel with you. We'll come to a Christianity Explored course. There's one running at the moment where eight of us on a Monday night in the Lynx Bar are just reading a Gospel together to look at the evidence for who Jesus is. Another one will begin at the start of January. And consider, too, the evidence of Christians who live in a world of suffering in their own lives, and yet, through it, keep a clear and settled and strong conviction that is faith in a good and all-powerful God. As a minister, I am privileged to spend a lot of time with people who are suffering. And in Christians, I see again and again a steadiness, an assurance, a peace, a confidence, even in the face of death, that is not escapism. It is realism. If it were escapism, it would shatter like glass into a thousand pieces. It is realism and faith in a Savior, Jesus Christ, who understands our pain and gave his life that we might be forgiven and was raised to life that we might have new life and the promise of everlasting life. Let me briefly summarize the question, how can there be a God when there is so much suffering? It is a good question. It is a hard question. It is a real and a personal question. And by way of response to that question, I've invited you to consider the alternative, the implications of a world full of suffering where there is no God. I've suggested that Christianity is not escapism, but realism. God himself has suffered he has lived in this world. God will end suffering. He died on a cross to forgive us, to reconcile us to God. He rose again to give us life 
and point us to a new creation without pain. And finally, I encourage you to consider the evidence. Christianity as a faith rises and falls on the factual eyewitness evidence of the life and the teaching and the ministry of Jesus Christ. Now, thank you for listening. Please do text questions to the number or write them down on the sheet. We'll be glad to try to answer them for you. I'm going to hand back to Andy.